and welcome. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Welcome to Southridge. We're excited that you are here. What great worship this morning. Thank you so much for leading us in such powerful songs. I love that, that we have a prayer even in the desert when our life seems dry, that God gives not only just meaning and purpose, but he also gives us life more abundant. Welcome. We're excited to see each and every one of you here. I'm looking forward to what God has for us. We are in a series entitled, We Are the Church, and we're looking at the first church, the early church, and we're kind of diving in and we're pulling out truths about this church. So if you brought a copy of the Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter number five. If you didn't, we have a gift Bible on your way out. You can just grab one that's free to you or it'll be up on the screen. But we're going to be in Acts chapter number five and we're going to dive right in. We started three weeks ago talking about the fact that what we're a part of is bigger than the part that we play. Sometimes we get involved with a church and we think it's a lot more about us than it really is. This is God's church. Jesus started it. It's his work. It started before us and it'll be around after us. But yet we do have a part to play. And last week we talked about that I do have a part. The question is, when will I start? When will I start using my life to play a part? And last week it was pretty exciting. We had 36 people sign up to join a ministry. They said, I got a gift. I got an ability. I'll let it be used. And some people said, Hey, I'll come on a Friday and I'll, I'll full worship guides. I'll clean the place up. Some people came on a Saturday and they're using their gifts. Some people you're here on a Sunday, you're using your gifts, but there's all different types of gifts in what we call the body of Christ. And those people are using their gifts. And this morning we've seen people already begin to serve and they're saying, Hey, I have a part and I'm going to start with this week. I want to look at really an unusual passage of scripture because I believe that God wants to get you ready for something. I believe that he wants to have you prepared for something. You see, what happens is we cannot plan a move of God. You cannot mark on your calendar that this date is when God's going to move in my marriage. That on this date, this is when God's going to get a hold of my teenager. Uh, on this date, this is when my boss is going to be giving me that raise. On this date, this is where I'm going to find that I'm going to be able to conquer this sin in my life. No, no, we can't plan for it, but we should not be not we should not be guilty of not being prepared for a move of God. We can't plan for it, but we too often are guilty of not being prepared for a move of God. God wants to move, but sadly, I meet a lot of people and they don't have an expectation that God is going to work. There is one thing I want our church to be is a church filled with expectation, where we have great expectation that God can move and that God will move because God wants to work in your life. I don't know if you know this, but you have a loving God who wants to bless and prosper and guide you. He wants to be a part of your life a part of your story, but too often we are guilty of wanting it, but we're not working for it. And so we're looking at the passage in Acts chapter number five, Acts chapter number five, and we're looking at the early church, the first church, and this church has just seen some extraordinary things happen. God's just doing something. You come to Acts chapter number one, when we come to verse number eight, where it says that I will give you power and you're going to take this power. You're going to be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost. And then you come to chapter two, where the church just kind of explodes. 3,000 people show up to church on one day. They're saved, then they get baptized. And then you see in chapter three, they're reaching more people. Chapter four, you see a little bit of persecution come in, but the church is growing and it's getting stronger. Then we come to chapter number five. And I want you to notice something. 
that if the devil can't crush the church, the devil will corrupt the church. If he can't crush it, he'll corrupt it. And that's what chapter 5 is all about. You see, whenever you see a move of God, Satan wants in that movement. He wants to stop it. He wants to crush it. He wants to do something about it. But if he can't just use brute force and crush it, that was chapter 4. There was some persecution coming to the church, but then that didn't stop the church. So what then he did, and we're going to see in chapter 5, is he's going to try to corrupt it. But let's personalize a little bit. If Satan can't crush you, then he's going to try to corrupt you. He's trying try to get into your life any way he can, and we're going to meet a couple where he does just that. Notice if you would, verse number 1. Here's what the scripture says. It says, but there was a certain man named Ananias. And verse number one, the very first word, it's a conjunction. It's like a shift. Everything has been great with the church. It's been moving. But verse number one is, but this week somebody called me and they were, they were saying, man, we love the church. We love all these things that's happening. And you know, when somebody's building you up just to like knock your legs out from under you and you just know the butt is coming. Like husbands, we get this all the time. Wife's like, oh, you're doing such a good job. You know, you're putting the toilet seat up and down. That's good. The laundry's making it in the basket. But, and you just know it's coming. You know the butt is coming. You've got a boss like this too. There's a boss, he'll come, they'll be like, hey, you know, your sales are up. You know, you're, you're, you're doing a good job and leading your team. But, and you just, you just know it. It's a conjunction. It's a switching of the gears. You see, everything has been going pretty well with the church. But then we come to chapter five, verse number one. But things are shifting. And then we meet this person named Ananias. And then his wife's name is Sapphira. And just that name alone, it just kind of sends a little chill down your back. And nice and Sapphira. The Bible says that they sold property. And he brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't trying to, you weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. You see, it's a bad thing to come to church late, okay? She came three hours late. Notice what happens. Peter asked her, was the price you and your husband received for your land? And uh, she said, yes. She replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard it, what had happened. You see, if Satan can't crush the church, he'll try to corrupt it. He'll try to get inside. Now, I think sometimes we think, man, Peter, what a mean guy. What a terrible guy. I mean, this is a brand new church, and man, what a terrible person. But here's what you need to understand. In verse 5, it says everyone was terrified. Peter didn't know this was going to happen. Don't think that Peter's just like, and you're not giving in. You're lying, and you're dead. You're dead. And that's not what he was doing. In this passage, you see that they committed the ultimate transgression of lying to the Holy Spirit. And God's like, wait a minute, I'm not going to tolerate that. And so what happens is we see here that they were pretending. 
But I stepped back and I was like, why did they feel this weight? Why did they feel like they needed to let everybody know that they had brought more than they actually made? And then you have to go back to chapter number four. We're not, we don't have to turn there, but let me just read a couple verses in chapter four. You see, the Bible talks about in chapter four that there's a man whose name was Joseph. Most of us know him by his nickname, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi, and he came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. You see, Ananias and Sapphira saw this guy named Barnabas, and they saw how the church treated Barnabas and they thought, man, that's pretty nice. I want some recognition. I want to receive the accolades like Barnabas. And so they said, you know what? We're not as generous as Barnabas, but we've got some property too. Let's sell that. And then we'll tell them that this is the price that we got for the land. So they're going to think we're really generous when after all, we're not that generous. And they brought that, but they were lying. You see, here's what happens. They were turning into actors, weren't they? You see, we all have that struggle, don't we? There are moments in life where we pretend to be something that we're actually not. Sometimes we're in a social setting where we have to put up the front to pretend to be something that we're not. You ever found yourself, you're in a situation at your work and everybody's kind of laughing at something that you normally actually wouldn't laugh at. You know, it's something a little bit uncouth. It's it's not exactly proper. But you find yourself laughing at it and then later on you feel bad about it. What happened? You see, there was the social pressure around you to be something that you're not. Or you ever found yourself around a crowd and all of a sudden you thought everything's fine and then the crowd starts to do an activity that you know you really don't want any part of, that you wish you weren't there in the room, you wish you weren't here, you wish you were anywhere but here. What happened? Because of the social pressure, you started to act like something you weren't. We all struggle with it, whether it's in your work or maybe it happened just when you're online. You're online and all of a sudden you feel like I've got to put all these filters on. I've got to make it seem like I'm really vegan and actually I'm eating a hamburger right after I take this picture of my salad. This salad is gross. I don't know why I even bought this salad. It's a $20 salad and it tastes disgusting. But you're trying to project an image. You're trying to project something that isn't actually real. And we live in a culture today where you don't even know what's real and what's not real. You don't even know if that person's actually who they say they are. I mean, today you hear more and more celebrities falling for what's called the catfish scheme. They think they met somebody online and they're like, oh, he's cute. Oh, she's cute. Man, this is going to be a great relationship. And all of a sudden you just realize that when he said he lived in a gated community, you didn't know he was San Quentin was his gated community. All right. You just thought, man, this is a, this is, this is going to be a great hot dude. I can't wait to go on a date with them. But just remember that gated community could mean a whole lot of things. Okay, sister. So you just watch out when they say gated community and you just don't know and anything could happen but yet we live in a pressured society where we've got to project an image where I've got to be a better mom than I really am I've got to be a better spouse than I really am I've got to be better at my job my life has to be better and we wonder why we feel a dryness why we feel like we're that desert I don't know anybody else that song just kind of resonate I think I think for me it hit home because there's always this pressure to always think like everything's got to be up and everything's got to be great. But I hope we can be a little bit honest. Somebody asked me after my vacation, they're like, do you have a great vacation? I was like, I have three kids. 
No, I did not have a good vacation. Vacation, when you have children, it's not about mom and dad anymore. And you parents in the room, you know what it's like. When you're going to theme parks, it's all about those kids because you've been on your feet for 17 hours. You stood in line to take a picture with a character that you won't really care about next year because they're going to bring out another Disney character and it's going to be more popular than that character. And you're like, why did I wait in the sun? I got burned. And it's just all for the kids. And why? Because we have this pressure to be something that we're not. This morning, I want to talk about what are the factors that make us actors. There are some factors that make us actors. You say, what are they? First of all, the struggle. The struggle, we all share it. All of us have the struggle, don't we? But the struggle is a sign. You see, we have this struggle. The struggle is to project an image. Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to project an image of generosity, project an image of loving the church, project an image that they are great Christian leaders, project an image. Notice they wanted to bring it to the apostles. They didn't just want to put it in the love bucket. They didn't just want to see, put it in a sealed envelope and mail it into the church mailbox. No, no, no. They said, hey, we're the 12 apostles. We want to schedule a meeting. We want to make sure everybody's there. I want to make sure that I get it in a big check. I don't want one of those little checks. I want man, a big big check that you would see at a halftime show. I'm going to bring me a big check. And they may have done something where, hey, give me a couple camels. Let's load them down with gold. So the gold's just dripping off the camel. And I want to walk in and I want them to be like, wow, Ananias and Sapphira, you guys are loaded. Look at you. You are really spiritual. And so they walk in and this is the problem you and I also struggle with. And the struggle is really a sign. You say a sign of what? It's a sign that you're operating out of your insecurities. When you find yourself projecting an image, just step back and say, am I operating out of my insecurities? Why do I have to project this image? Am I insecure about something? Am I trying to compensate for some area of my life that I'm not too proud of? Am I having to put a filter on it? Am I trying to cover it up? Am I trying to make something that really isn't there? What am I trying to do? And so we need to understand that the struggle is this sign, and it's a sign that I'm operating out of my insecurities or I'm operating out of my inadequacies, and and I'm not operating out of my true identity. You say, what do you mean true identity? The name Ananias means Jehovah is generous. That's what it means. He's not living out his true identity, is he? He's not living up to what he was named after. Sapphira means beautiful. These people are not living up to their true identity. They've chosen a lesser form. They've chosen the lesser life. And I think you and I, we struggle for it too. You see, when we feel like we've got to project an image that isn't true, we're not living the true authentic life that Christ has for us. We're living a secondary life. And I know what happens. You and I, we're fine until we see somebody else who seems like they're doing better than us. And all of a sudden, we feel a little bit insecure. And what does that insecurity, what is it triggering? You see, we all have a fear of rejection, don't we? We want to go to a party and be accepted. I don't know. I'm weird. And I, I think sometimes ladies may think that, oh, they're the only ones that have this problem. If I'm going somewhere, I want to text somebody, hey, what's the dress code? I don't want to be overdressed. I don't want to be underdressed. I kind of freak out and I kind of obsess over these things. So I want to know, hey, where are we going? What's the dress? I want to make sure that I don't stand out and I don't underdress. I don't want to be the person that's so, so it's always good to have a jacket in the car just in case. You can always dress it up with a jacket, you know. You have these little accessories that you just kind of keep with you. And so I'll text somebody, and I know it's weird for a dude to admit that. I'll text somebody, be like, hey man, what are you wearing? Okay, all right. That's, it was like casual, business casual. Like, what are we going for? Ripped jeans appropriate, skinny jeans, loose jeans. What, what, what do, do I need to wear my golf outfit? I mean, I could put on a polo shirt. I've got it. Just let me know, and I want to make sure I fit in. Isn't it sad? 
Like when we go somewhere, we don't want to stand out. We want to make sure we're with that in crowd. We want to know that we've got it down, that we want to know that, hey, who am I talking to? Who's going to be around there? I want to make sure that I kind of blend in. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to get left behind. But here's what happens because we fear rejection. Rejection creates fake perfection. We're now all of a sudden we're trying to project an image of perfection. That isn't true. You see, fear of rejection creates fake perfection. And so we start projecting this image that we've got it all together, that we're perfect, and we're really not. And if there's anything that has probably hurt the church more than anything, this, I believe, is Satan's secret weapon right now. Because he's saying, I can't crush the church, but I'm going to corrupt it. Because I'm going to get all those Christians to project an image that they're perfect. And if we're projecting an image we're perfect, then why do we need God? Why do we need him to clean us up and help us out? If I can do this all on my own, I don't need him. And so Satan says, I'm going to be slick about this. I'm going to create the need, the desire within them that they want something so bad. They want recognition. They want to be perceived as better than they really are. And so I'm going to put this into their life. And so this is the sign of the struggle. You see, the external situations are only amplifying the internal struggle. You see, you and I, we are internally, we struggle with our insecurities and with our inadequacies. And yet we focus on those and we fixate on those. And it seems like all the media today it's just, that's what they do. They just drive you to this image, what's weak about you, what's not good enough about you, that you always have to keep working at it. Instead of saying, wait a minute, that's not who God meant me to be. So the struggle is really a sign. So this week, as you find yourself struggling with maybe your insecurity, you find yourself struggling in a situation, step back and say, hey, this is a sign. Am I operating out of my insecurity? Uh, this week, my wife, we were folding the laundry and I was trying to be a good husband, trying to help put things away. And she said something. She said, put them away neatly. And I fired back. I said, of course I put it away neatly. I'm a dude. Of course, everything I do is neat and perfect and organized. And I was a little bit offended that she didn't think I put the clothes away neatly and organized. Now, you need to understand something about my wife. Our closets are color-coded. All right. And everything matches. And so when I put clothes away, I'm just kind of like, where's room? And I just Throw it in there. She knows how I am. You see, in our home, there's a sock drawer. There's a drawer for T-shirts. There's a drawer for shorts. There's a drawer for pants. There's a, and, they, and then they're color-coded and neatly stacked. I just kind of mess up that whole system. She knows me. But I was offended, and I got defensive because she didn't like the way that I put away clothes. And I'm like, why does it matter? We're going to take them out. Nobody can see them. They're hidden in the drawers. They're hidden. But I started to get offended, and then I was walking down the hall, and I was like, wait a minute. I just snapped at her because I'm bothered that she doesn't like the way that I put away clothes. Why does it matter that she didn't like the way I put away clothes? And I came back and said, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have got defensive about that. I shouldn't have gotten bothered that you don't like the way I put away clothes. You know, if you want me to put away clothes a different way, who cares? If that's what's going to make you happy, that's easy. You're not asking for a new car, new house, bigger ring. You're just asking me to put away the clothes neatly. I can do that. I can put away the clothes and make it color according to how you want. I don't need to get offensive. So sometimes we have to step back and say, hey, this internal struggle, what's it a sign of? It's a sign that I'm operating out of my insecurities. And too often we get in arguments, we get in fights, because why? We want to maintain an image that isn't, re- isn't real. And if you would simply say, you know what, I just, I don't have that image. I don't, what am I trying to protect? I'm trying to protect something that's not even real. That's why we get bothered when people say stuff about us on social media. Because that image that we built up, they're poking holes in it. And it's not even real. It's not even a real person on there. And so we need to step back and say, wait a minute, why am I offended? Why am I allowing that? You see, we need to, number two, write this down, step off the stage. Notice verse number three. Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan 
fill your heart, you lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. Why is it that you let Satan fill your heart? What a statement. What an accusation. The word fill is the word control. Why are you letting Satan control you? He asked the question. You know what's interesting? Peter has experience with this. Do you remember back in the garden, Jesus said, hey, I must go and I must give my life and I'm going to die on the cross. What did Peter say? Peter said, no, Lord, it'll never happen. Not on my watch. I'm not going to let it happen. What did Jesus say to Peter? He said, Satan, get behind me. He wasn't talking to Satan. He was talking to Peter. Peter is intimately acquainted with what can happen when you let Satan control your life. And sometimes we can control, we allow things in our life that take control over us, that temper, that attitude. So Peter knew. He knew what can happen. And so Peter said, why are you letting him control you? You see, it's amazing. We even say things like this. That boss makes me so mad. Why are you letting them control you? Oh man, I can't believe that person cut me off. And man, we're cursing on the way to work. Why are you letting somebody you don't even know control you? Control your emotions, control your attitude. Oh man, I can't believe my mother-in-law said this. Why are you letting her control you? If she wants to come raise your kids and cook healthy meals, let her come on over. Come on over. You can make the meals. You want to make the meals? You want to dress the kids? You want to do it? Come on, I'll take it, you know? And I'll sit down on my back porch and I'll enjoy a little glass of something and I'll relax. If you want to do it, go for it. I won't, it won't offend me. But yet we have this image and it's this stage that we want to step on. And I've told you the difference between a stage and a platform. A stage is for performance. You see, he wanted to step on a stage where I've got to perform. And don't we have a pressure today to perform? Everywhere we go in life, it seems like there's this pressure to just be on. As a mom, you go to a PTA meeting, you've got to be the best mom. As a father, you've got to be best father. As an employee, you've got to be the best employee. As a boss, you've got to be the best boss online. You just have to have the strong social media game. And yet we don't understand this pressure to perform. It's putting us on a stage. And a stage is all about performance. You see, the life that you're living is not the truth of who you are. You see, stage is for performance. A platform is for influence. You want to influence people, not always perform for people. And so Ananias, we got to start with who he really was. It means Yahweh, Jehovah is gracious, is generous. That's his name, but he's not living up to his name. You see, he stepped away from his true identity. He stepped away from it. Have you stepped away from the life that you're living because it's not the truth of who you were called to be? Who has God called you to be? And are you finding that? And you can watch. This is what's great about our social media. Just back up the last couple months. What are you trying to project on there? Just, uh, just, just rehearse in your mind the last couple conversations you've had with your girlfriend or you've had with those people that are close to you. What has it all been about? Just back up. Are you trying to project something? I catch myself saying things. I catch myself saying things that project this image. And I'm like, wait a minute. I don't know why I just said that. I, I got to stop. Interrupt the conversation. I, I'm not that good. I'm really not. My golf score is way higher, way higher. I should be bowling, not golfing. You know, I mean, it's just my numbers are all backwards. And so we have this, this thing where we kind of want to project. You see, here's what we need to understand. God didn't make you one way to use you another. God gave Barnabas the gift of generosity. He didn't give it to Ananias. He didn't have that gift. But Ananias should have lived in his gift. And some of us, we're envious of somebody else's gift. We're envious of somebody else's life. And we're trying to be that instead of simply saying, God, you've blessed me. Let me find the strength in my life so I can step off this stage. I don't want to be on this stage. Ananias, he put himself up there. Not only that, stop living a life based on a true story and start living the real story. He said, what do you mean a life based on a true story? How many like movies that are based on a true story? Anybody in the house, you, you just prefer those? Jane does too. 
It drives me nuts. We're going to pick a movie, and Sunday nights we typically will watch a, a movie on Netflix or something, and I am typically just want to zone out and just watch something dumb, something that didn't even happen. I want to see something usually blow up. That's typically what I want to see, or something just stupid and funny. And uh, she's like, well, let's get a movie that's, that's based on a true story. You know, let's watch something like Unbroken. And I'm like... No, let's not. You know, it's just two and a half hours. And I'm like, wow. But here's what I looked at. And I was like, guess what? How much has this movie still even happened? It's based on a true story. But how much of it is actually true? How much is true? Did he really have that dog? Did the girl he falls in love with really have that color of hair? I mean, did that really happen? Like, where's the truth in here? They say it's based on a true story. So how much is true? And how much is error? You see, that's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to live a life that's based on a true story and not your real story. He wants you to have just enough truth. Did Ananias sell the land? Yes, he did. Did he have some money? Yes, he did. You see how much truth is actually in the statement? You see, Satan is going to package a lie in, in, in truth. He's going to surround it, and that's how he sells it to you. You see, we don't lie to ourselves. We convince ourselves. We get ourselves to believe it. We get ourselves to go along with it. We kind of trick ourselves. So stop living a life based on a true story. Here's somebody, and I love this. The hardest part about life is having the courage to live yours. The hardest part about your life is having the courage to live yours. God has given you your life. Are you living your life? Or are you trying to live somebody else's story? Are you over trying to be that person? I get it. We have our heroes. We have those people we look up to. Those people we want to model our life after. But I can't be a carbon copy of somebody else. I need to be who God called me to be. That's where the strength is. But the hardest part is having the courage to live your life. You see, he's letting Satan control his life. The word fill is that word to surrender and to be controlled by. And so he's allowing his life to be controlled by somebody else. We allow our emotions, our life to be controlled by others as well. Would you write this down? If you let him in, you let him win. Would you touch your neighbor this morning and say, hey, if you let him in, you're going to let him win. You see, in uh, James 4, 7, it says, resist the devil and he will run from you. Resist and he will run. He didn't say you run from the devil and the devil will resist you. He said, you resist, he'll run. And I'm so thankful. I'm not a runner. I don't like to run. Any runners in the house? Can I see your hands? Yep, they're the people that they're going to live forever. They're going to be in great shape. They're always going to look good because they're runners. I'm not a runner. So I thank God. God didn't say you need to run from him. Some of you are running from the devil when the Bible says resist him. And some of us are so intimidated when the Bible simply says just resist and he'll run from you. You're running from something that should be running from you. And you're allowing it to take over your life. So resist, don't run. You see, God didn't call you to run. You see, Satan will use a lie to get you to live a life less than you deserve. And I think it's amazing in verse number seven how it says that Sapphira, she comes in and she didn't even know what had happened. She didn't know that her husband's already gone. Three hours later, she didn't know. You see, Satan will always keep you in the dark. He always will. You see, when you follow his plan, he'll keep you in the dark on purpose. Some of us think that God is keeping us in the dark and he's not. The Bible says, walk in the light as he is in the light. We are never more like God when we're walking in the light. We're never more like the devil when we're walking in darkness. And too often we find ourselves in darkness rather than light. And so we need to say, wait a minute, am I walking in the light? Am I aware of what's going on? She was totally unaware. Because why? Satan will keep you in the dark because that's how he keeps you in bondage. So we see the struggle is a sign. We see that we need to step off the stage. But then thirdly, we need to switch your system. I began to think about this passage, and you got to think about the Israelites. For hundreds and hundreds of years, when they would worship God, you know how they would worship God? 
tied to the minivan would be a bull. They would bring that bull. They would bring that lamb. They could bring turtle doves. They had to bring a sacrifice that everybody could see. You would bring the sacrifice. You would go to the priest and you'd say, here's my sacrifice for my sin. That's the way they did it. And all these Israelites, guess what they were used to? They were used to that way. I've got to bring a sacrifice to God. And everybody got to see what they were bringing. So they're just kind of used to it. Whoa, look at, that's a big bull. They must, they must have a lot of sin. My goodness, what could they have done? That's a lot. Or they could look at somebody else like, oh, they just brought turtle doves? Oh, I know they sin way more than that. They need a, you need the bull. Please take the bull. I know your life. I've been following your Facebook feed. Oh, you need repentance. You need Jesus. And you, 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 you like want to switch out the animals for them. Like you definitely need some bigger animals, all right? And so that's what they were used to. And yet now they're coming and they don't have to bring it. Did you catch what Peter said? Peter said, the land was yours. The money was yours. You got to do whatever you wanted with it. But what you brought to God at least be honest about what you brought to God and don't call it all when it wasn't all. Don't call that, I, hey, God, I'm bringing you everything when you haven't brought him everything. Don't sing a surrender song when you're not truly surrendered. You see, what happened, they were used to the old system. You say, what do you mean the old system? The old system was I bring a sacrifice. The new system is Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus brought it. God bought it. That's the sacrifice. It's done. You see, they were used to that old system. i I have fun. I got my kids at the end, of, in the beginning of the summer. I got them a little old school Nintendo. Anybody ever? How many remember these? Anybody remember these? Aren't these kind of fun? I got it for my kids at the beginning of the summer. It was so cool. It cost me like 50 bucks. And they were like, Dad, I've never seen this system. Is this new? I'm like, yeah, yeah, kids. Yeah, brand new, brand new. They don't even know this is what I grew up on. But I remember starting out with the Nintendo. 8-bit graphics. And then you got to the Super Nintendo, 16-bit graphics. And then you get a little bit older, and then all of a sudden you get to the N64, Nintendo 64, Golden Eye, come on. And it's so much fun to play those games. I had a blast. And then all of a sudden they brought out the Nintendo Wii, and the newest system they brought out is called the Nintendo Switch. And I love that. Switch is so much fun. If you haven't played the Switch, it's a blast. It's great for your family. Get, Get a Switch. It's fun, but I love the name, Switch. Because that's exactly what needs to happen. We've got to make the switch in our mind. We've got to say, you know what? I'm under an old system. It's not about what I bring and how I perform and what God sees me do. That's not the system anymore. The system is Jesus already paid it. It's already been taken care of at the cross. I brought it and I don't have to deal with it anymore. So I can live an authentic life. I don't have to run from the truth. You see, I can now live for the truth. They lost because of a lie. Because they were operating under an old system. You see, we have our phones, and every once in a while, your phone will say, update is waiting, and you have to update the OS. You say, what's the OS? It's the operating system. You see, God said, I'm going to give you a new operating system. That operating system is Jesus Christ alive in your heart. He says, you don't have to live the way you've been living. You don't have to live a performance-based life, a perfection-based life, a pressure-to-prove-yourself life. He says, I'm going to free you from all that because I've got a new system. Why are you playing the same old system? Why are you playing the same old games? When God is saying, hey, I've got something brand new for your life. I don't want you to be under that. I've got something better for you. But here was Ananias and Sapphira. They were stuck in an old system. And I think too often we're stuck in an old system. And God says the system of guilt is gone and there's a system of grace. The system of the law is gone. There's now a system of love. And some of us have never updated. We've never got the latest update. I know the download looks big. You're like, two gigs? I don't want to give up two gigs on my 
my phone for the update, but the update is worth it. Go for the new iOS update. Go for it and say, you know what? I want God to make me new. I want him to revamp my life. John 10.10 says the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy, but God's purpose is to give rich and satisfying life. That's God's purpose for you. Have you taken that step and said, you know what? I need to upgrade my life. My life is under an old operating system. It's the operating system like all my friends and none of them are happy. They're all discouraged. They're all depressed. They're all trying to drown their sorrows. But I've got a different operating system. I've got a new system because I've switched it. I don't need to be on the stage. I've stepped down from that. I know my struggle is a sign of something deep happening in my heart. I got to get below the surface. And now I'm stepping back and saying, God, I'm going to switch the system to something new. Can we all stand as we close? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us to look at our life. Help us to step back and say, God, what part of our life are we operating in? Are we operating out of insecurities that are based and built on our inadequacies? Are we operating out of a life that is true to who you've called us to be? Ananias and Sapphira could have been pillars of your church, but they allowed Satan to corrupt it, to corrupt the image that you had. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that we would once again say, God, I need that update. I need a new operating system. I don't want to operate in my own power, my own strength. I want to operate out of your strength and your power. So, Father, I pray this morning that we would turn our attention towards you, that we wouldn't steal the attention away from you because Satan wants to crush a church. And this morning, we need to realize that if he can't crush it, he will corrupt it. And the easiest way to corrupt it is to get the people that claim to be following Christ to be pretenders, to not be real to who you've called them to be. I pray that you would help us. Walk in the strength that you've given us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.